in Matthew 24, 7 to 12, Jesus combined a number of tribulation conditions under the heading of birth pains, labor pains, which are the signs of being in the last stages of a pregnancy. He later compared these conditions to trees, which are fully grown and bearing fruit in the tribulation. These trees cannot suddenly appear out of nowhere, but they must all spring up and put forth their leaves in the time just before the tribulation. Therefore, the rise of all these trees together, in preparation for the tribulation, constitute the signs of the approaching tribulation. Therefore, these trees start manifesting before the tribulation, even though they only come to their full manifestation in the time after the tribulation starts. Therefore, this must also be true about the labor pains that Jesus described, for he said all the trees, without exception, will start showing in the time before the tribulation. Thus he is saying that the birth pains of the tribulation will be experienced to a degree in the special time just before the tribulation, so that these are signs that the tribulation is close. Amazingly, this agrees perfectly with what happens in a pregnancy. The actual birth pains come on suddenly and increase in intensity until the birth, which is a perfect description of the tribulation. These labor pains only last for a relatively short time, for a day. Interestingly, if you compare the one day of labor pains with the seven years of the tribulation, and compare the whole pregnancy to the whole church age, where the kingdom baby is growing as it waits to be born on the earth, and if you use the same scale of me measurement, that would point to the pregnancy lasting about 2,000 years. During the pregnancy, there is general discomfort, but this is not a sign of an imminent birth. But towards the end of the pregnancy, just before the labor pains, women have Braxton Hicks contractions, also known as false labor pains, although they're very real. And they can feel like labor pains, but they're less intense. These are not signs of an imminent birth, but they do indicate the approach of the time of labor pains. The labor pains experienced by the mother are a result of the curse on sin, and signify that the presence of the sin nature in the flesh resists the baby's birth. Likewise, the labor pains that will be experienced by earth in the tribulation are the result of the world system under the power of the kingdom of darkness resisting the birth of God's kingdom on the earth. Before the climactic labor pains of the tribulation, the continuity of history requires that there be corresponding Braxton Hicks contractions during the final period of the church age. These are a sign and a foreshadowing of the final labor pains, but nothing like as intense. I believe that we're in the time of Braxton Hicks contractions now, and have been for some time, and so we are living in the last days of the church age, just before the tribulation pains begin. By comparing the labor pains of the tribulation to the trees in summer, Jesus confirmed that there would be corresponding Braxton Hicks contractions in the time just before, just as trees put forth their leaves in spring before their full fruit bearing glory. Sorry, yeah, didn't say that. <clears throat> By comparing the labor pains of the tribulation to the trees in summer, Jesus confirmed that there would be corresponding Braxton Hicks contractions in the time just before. Just as trees put forth their leaves in spring before their full fruit-bearing glory in the summer. Likewise, these Braxton Hicks contractions are signs of the approaching labor pains of the tribulation. So by looking at these labor pains, we can deduce some more trees that should put forth leaves in the period of time immediately before the tribulation, enabling us to confirm that we are indeed living in that time, and also we can discover when this time began and when it's likely to end.
Jesus said the tribulation would be characterized by world war, worldwide famine and diseases, convulsions of nature in various places such as earthquakes and tsunamis, signs in the heavens, worldwide anti-Semitism, persecution of believers, apostasy, godlessness, lawlessness and deception. Revelation also reveals great disruptions of the balance of nature and climate. All of these are part of the labor pains as the forces of evil collide with the kingdom. Thus the time just before the tribulation should be marked by the Braxton-Hicks contractions of world war, an increase of earthquakes and other disturbances of nature, the disruption of the normal climate as the balance of nature is disturbed, and signs in the heavens. Also, we'd expect to see a worldwide increase in famines and diseases, along with increased spiritual deception, anti-Semitism, persecution of believers, godlessness, lawlessness, occultism, and abuse of sexuality in society, with all the restraints removed, as the absolute moral standards of God's word are rejected in the public sphere. We've seen all of these things take place and develop over the last hundred years as never before, exactly as the Bible predicted would happen in the last days of the church age before the tribulation. But it should be noted that however bad these things seem to be now, they are just the build-up to the climactic labor pains in the tribulation that will be far more intense. Thus, the two world wars are just Braxton Hicks contractions compared to the world war in the tribulation. And that brings us to our tribulation tree number 10, which is world war. The first labor pain mentioned by Jesus in Matthew 24, 7 is world war, when he said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Also, Revelation 6 depicts world war as the first manifestation of the labor pains of the tribulation after the first two seals are opened and the riders on the white and the red horse go forth. As the first manifestation of labor pains, it has a special significance, as it also tells us what Braxton Hicks contraction should happen first. And this is particularly helpful, as a world war is so specific and identifiable that we can even put a date on it. It's a remarkable thing that one of the main things that mark out the last hundred years from the rest of history are the two world wars. For in the previous centuries, world war was inconceivable. Yet this was the very thing that Jesus pointed to as the first sign of us entering into the closing of the church age. These world wars, along with the rebirth of Israel, are unmistakable signs that we're in the time of the Braxton Hicks contractions, approaching the end of the age. Before World War I, all wars were local, but in 1914, for the very first time, World War covered the whole earth. So this was the first Braxton Hicks contraction. Many thought they were in the tribulation in World War II because of this birth pain prophecy. But it could not have been so, because it was also necessary for Israel to be back in the land. Since World War is the first prophesied contraction, and World War I started in August 1914, we can determine that this final phase of church history started in 1914. So the Braxton-Hicks contractions officially started in 1914. Although the rebirth of Israel as an independent nation in our land after 1900 years, that is the major sign, the major miracle of history, and the major sign that proves we're near the end of the church age, I do not believe that the end times actually began in 1948. Although the parable of the fig tree in Matthew 24 might suggest that the rebirth of Israel in 1948 is the start of the final end time countdown, I believe we should go back to 1914 for the real start. This is because Luke 21 tells us the full statement of Jesus, which was, when you see the fig tree and all the trees. 
So we need to consider all the trees, starting with the first one to appear, which was World War. The first Braxton Hicks contraction was World War I. The contraction of the First World War led to the bigger contraction of the Second World War, which in turn led to the rebirth of Israel, for her birth came out of the contractions of the two world wars, including the Holocaust. Thus I believe the start of the First World War in 1914 is when we entered into the new phase of history. Let's look again now. Luke 21, 28-32 says, But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God in the tribulation is near. Truly I say to you, this generation that sees these things will not pass away until all these things take place. Notice he's describing a period of time that's no longer than a man's lifetime, which has been fixed by God at 120 years, according to Genesis 6.3. The starting point in verse 28 is when you see these things happening. And the end point is verse 32, is when until all these things take place, or are fulfilled, which is the second coming. Now, these things are the trees, or the labor pains, that come to their fullness in the tribulation, but start in the time before it, as Braxton Hicks contractions. Therefore, Jesus seems to be saying that the time from the onset of the Braxton Hicks to its end is no more than 120 years. I could be wrong, but according to this logic, all things should be fulfilled within 120 years from World War I. Also, based on a pregnancy of 2,000 years, 120 years is an approximate length of time for Braxton Hicks contractions. As I speak, we've just passed the completion of 100 years from World War I. So this is another confirmation that Jesus is coming soon, so be ready. Jesus said the time leading up to his coming will be as in the days of Noah. So it's significant that God also gave Noah advance warning of the worldwide judgment of the flood 120 years beforehand. That's Genesis 6.3. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The fixing of a general upper limit of 120 years for a man's opportunity to turn to God in Genesis 6.3 applies to all men, both those living before the flood and those born after the flood. So, as in the days of Noah, there's a final period of 120 years before worldwide judgment is accomplished. And we are living near the end of this period, in the last of the last of the last days. Remember, Jesus is answering question three. What is the sign of the end of the age? He revealed what kind of signs to look for by using the analogy of trees and labor pains. Next, he completed his answer to question three by giving the final sign that the world will see before the judgment of the tribulation falls upon the whole world, and that's the rapture of the church. In Luke 21:28, he connected these signs with the rapture, saying, But when these things, these signs, begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption in the rapture is drawing near. The church is restraining the final manifestation of evil, so the removal of the church will result in a final, sudden release of evil, causing the tribulation to begin. And in the tribulation, God allows evil to come to its fullness and judges it. And so the rapture is the final sign to the world that the tribulation is about to start. The rapture is imminent, which means no one can know when it will happen. It's God's secret. 
Although the signs we've seen so far give the general time, they do not reveal the exact timing of the start of the tribulation. And that's what Jesus says next in verse 36. But of that day and hour, that's of the start of the tribulation, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Remember, he's still answering question three, which asked about the timing of the end of the age, or tribulation. So God keeps the timing of the rapture and the start of the tribulation as a secret. He knows it, but he doesn't reveal it to us, because we would probably misuse that knowledge. He wants to keep us on our toes, so that we'll always stay ready. He will come suddenly, without warning, as a thief in the night. This is the doctrine of imminence, which is God's limitation on our knowledge on the time of the rapture. He wants us to live as if Jesus could come at any time. So although we can't know the exact day of the rapture, the general signs he gave us tell us that we are living very close to the end of the church age. Then Jesus said in verse 37, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Remember, he's still answering question three about the timing of the start of the tribulation, and having said no one can know its exact date, he now identifies it with the coming of the Son of Man. This is saying that he will come to receive us in the rapture before the tribulation starts. In fact, the rapture is the triggering event for the start of the tribulation. As we continue in his prophecy, we will see this truth is confirmed again and again. Some assume that the coming of the Son of Man here refers to the second coming, but that does not agree with the fact that he's answering question three. Also, the phrase no one knows the day or hour has always applies to the rapture, not to the second coming, because anyone in the tribulation will be able to calculate the exact day of the Lord's return from what we're told in Daniel and Revelation. When Jesus said the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah, he was saying that the events in the time of Noah in connection with the flood are a type or a picture of what will happen in the time around his coming in the rapture and the start of the tribulation. The most obvious parallel is that the flood is the type of the tribulation because the flood was the only previous worldwide judgment and likewise the tribulation is a worldwide judgment. Those who assume he is comparing his second coming with Noah's flood forget the fact that the whole tribulation is a time of worldwide judgment, which has its climax at the second coming. We will see that the parallels that Jesus points out between the time of the flood and the time of the tribulation are very impressive. First, he compared the general time before the flood to the general time before his coming. Second, he compared what will happen on the day of the flood immediately before it fell to what will happen immediately before the flood of tribulation judgment falls on the earth. Third, he compared the flood itself to the future judgment of the tribulation, pointing out that it will be worldwide, and therefore no one on earth will be able to escape its effects. He says that the result of both judgments is to take all unbelievers away from the earth. First, in Matthew 24, 37 to 39, Jesus talked about the time just before the flood. He said, The coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. This gives us some more revelation of what it will be like in the time just before the tribulation. Jesus compared the last days of the church age to the time of Noah. The days before the flood of tribulation judgments fall on the whole world will be like the days of Noah before the flood of God's judgment fell on the whole world in his time. 
Thus the special characteristics of Noah's time will be repeated before the tribulation. According to Genesis 6, great wickedness, corruption, lawlessness and violence covered the earth, a major public de decline of all moral standards. Jesus characterized Noah's generation as just eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Now there's nothing wrong with these things in themselves, but there's no sign of any spirituality here. They were engrossed in their materialistic life and had no time for God. It indicates a society caught up in materialism, godlessness, forgetting God and pursuing purely natural things, and that certainly is a sign of modern life on earth. Genesis 6.1 speaks of a population explosion in Noah's time. So we'd also expect a population explosion in the time leading up to the tribulation. And that certainly happened in an unprecedented way over the last hundred years. Man was advanced in knowledge before the flood, as evidenced by Noah's ability to build such a large ship. In fact, man has only recently been able to make ships that big. Much of this knowledge was lost after the flood. The last hundred years have been marked by rapid scientific progress. Noah preached the gospel to the world using his ark as a visual aid. Likewise, in the closing period of the church age, the gospel will be preached to all nations, as Jesus said in Mark 13.10. The great explosion in world missions started in about 1800. So Jesus compared what will happen in the final days of the church age before his coming and the start of the tribulation to the time of Noah before the flood. There was a final period of 120 years of grace, during which time Noah preached the gospel, declaring that judgment was coming, but that God had provided a way of salvation, which was the ark, and that was a type of Christ. So all who trusted in God's provision would be saved from destruction. You see, those who were in the ark were saved, being under its covering, for the ark took the beating of the flood instead of them. God told Noah to cover the wooden ark with pitch, which was a red resin, in order to make it waterproof. So none of the waters reached those inside. Also, the Hebrew word for pitch is also the word for covering or atonement. So the ark covered with red pitch was a picture of Christ covered with his atoning blood. And all who take refuge in him come under the covering of his blood and are saved because he took all the judgment that we deserved. But those who reject him will be swept away when judgment falls. But the people in Noah's day were so immersed in their godless materialistic lives that they ignored all his warnings. And they were so totally taken by surprise when the flood finally fell. Notice that Jesus specifically described life in the world before the flood as going on as normal, right up to the day of the flood, eating, drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Therefore it follows that life on earth, even up to the day the Lord comes in the rapture, will also be going on as normal. This is a clear contrast to events just before his second coming, for at that time it's at the end of the tribulation with God pouring out his bowls of wrath and the battle of Armageddon raging and the sun turning to darkness. Life will be anything but normal. So this proves that the coming of the Lord that Jesus is talking about here is not the second coming but the rapture, which is a separate event before the tribulation. Jesus emphasized that life just before the flood was going on as normal, so they were all taken by surprise when the flood suddenly fell. There were no special signs that it was about to fall. Likewise, the world will be taken by surprise when the rapture happens and the tribulation flood suddenly falls on them. There will be no special signs that the rapture is about to happen. So the rapture itself, you see, is a signless event which can happen at any time and it will happen suddenly, without warning, when you least expect it. 
Although Jesus gave signs to give us the general idea when we're in the season just before the tribulation, he emphasized that there would be no specific sign by which we could know the exact time of the rapture. Don't think that something dramatic must happen before the rapture as a final warning, like a global crisis. In fact, the world will be saying peace and safety. There'll be no announcement from heaven saying, 10 days to the rapture. Life will be going on as normal, and then suddenly we will disappear. So, there is a major difference in the signs for the rapture and the signs for the second coming. The rapture is imminent, coming suddenly, at an unknown time, without any specific signs. The second coming comes after a whole series of specific signs that will enable people to know the exact day. Matthew 32 37 to 39, Jesus pointed to three similarities between the days of his coming and the days of Noah. First, the time before his coming will be similar to the time before the flood. Second, the day of his coming to initiate a period of judgment is compared to the actual day that Noah entered the ark. Third, worldwide judgment will suddenly fall on the world on the day of the Lord's coming just as the worldwide judgment of the flood suddenly fell on the very day that Noah entered the ark. Again, this cannot be talking about the second coming, as this comes as the climax of seven years of escalating worldwide judgments. Let us now consider the second point of similarity, the day of his coming, which initiates the judgment. This is compared with the day that Noah entered the ark, which initiated judgment. Initially, this doesn't seem to be an obvious similarity, unless you realize that the final sign to the world that the flood was about to fall was the disappearance of all the believers into the ark. Likewise, the final sign to the world that the tribulation flood is about to fall will be the disappearance of all the believers into Christ when he comes for them in the rapture. Just as God called Noah into the ark, so Christ will return and gather his own to himself in the rapture. Remember, he's still answering question three. What's the sign of the end of the age? Having said that there are no specific signs for his coming in the rapture, he points out that there will be one final specific sign to the world for the start of the tribulation, the disappearance of the believers in the rapture. However, this is not a warning sign, for the tribulation will start immediately after the rapture, so anyone who misses the rapture will have to go into the tribulation. Just as God shut the door as soon as Noah entered the ark, so he will shut the door straight after the rapture. Then, to confirm he's talking about the rapture, Jesus gave a classic description of the rapture in verses 40 to 42. He said, Then there'll be two men in the field. One t will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One taken, the other left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. He's talking about the parallel event to Noah entering the ark and disappearing from view. Jesus will come and take the believers to himself in the rapture. The rest must enter the tribulation. Notice he tells believers to be constantly on the alert for his coming, as they do not know when it will be. That's imminence. This repeats the early statement that no one knows the day, showing that he's still talking about the same event. Notice when he says to believers to be ready for your Lord is coming, the implication is he's coming for them, to take them to himself. This verse does not describe his second coming when he comes to take unbelievers from the earth in judgment, but his coming in the rapture when he comes to take his believers to be with him. This is confirmed in the next verses. Some come to the conclusion that it's talking about the second coming based on the fact that the word taken also appears in the previous verse to describe unbelievers in Noah's time being taken from the earth in judgment. However, this is just the trick of translation. 
The two words translated as took and taken in these verses are actually two different words in the original Greek. So this argument backfires. For if Jesus wanted to connect these two things, he would have used the same word. When it says, one was taken, another left, the word for taken here is the same word that is used for when Joseph took Mary to be his wife. So this is speaking of Jesus coming to take us to be with him. This is the first hint that the rapture is the bridegroom coming to take his bride. Another argument people use is it can't be talking about the rapture as Jesus didn't talk about the rapture as it's part of the mystery. And that was left for the Apostle Paul to do. But this is a false assumption, for we've already seen that Jesus started to reveal the mystery in Matthew 13. And it was given to Paul to complete it. Also we'll see that Jesus taught on the rapture in John 14. Then Jesus said in Matthew 24:43, be sure of this that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert, and he wouldn't have allowed his house to be broken into. This is the first time when Jesus compares his coming to a thief, who comes secretly and suddenly unannounced without warning signs, taking the things that are precious to him and then going away unseen. This is in total contrast to his second coming, when he comes openly and visibly in manifest glory. The rapture is a totally different kind of event to the second coming. Comparing his coming with the coming of a thief seems shocking, but although he's taking the precious things from the earth, that's us, he's not actually a thief, because he only takes those who belong to him, who have given their hearts to him. But to the world it will seem as if a thief has come, when we all suddenly disappear. Then he concluded in verse 44, For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. And this is another classic statement of the imminence of his coming in the rapture. Whatever theory you may have as to why Jesus can't come yet is contradicted by this verse. It's designed to humble us by pointing out our lack of knowledge, and this way we always have to stay ready. Notice he has made repeated statements of imminence since verse 36, confirming that he has been talking about the same event throughout, his coming as a thief to take the believers to himself. As a thief doesn't reveal when he's coming, so Jesus does not reveal the time of his coming in the rapture. His second coming, on the other hand, will have a clear seven-year countdown, which Jesus outlined earlier in the Olivet Discourse. Therefore, the coming of the Lord in these verses is a distinct event from his public second coming. Actually, I prefer to say that the second coming is in two phases. In the first phase, he comes for his church in the rapture. Then seven years later, in the second phase, he comes with his church in power and glory. In the first phase, the Lord comes to initiate the day of the Lord, the worldwide judgment of the tribulation. In the second phase, the Lord comes on the great and notable day of the Lord to conclude and complete this worldwide judgment and to establish his kingdom on the earth.